uh, Matthew 13 tonight. We're continuing our series uh, in the parables, the stories that Jesus told. What's the most valuable thing you've ever held in your hand? The most valuable thing you've ever possessed, even momentarily? I asked this question of some of you, and uh, got some interesting answers. Joseph once held something so precious that he wasn't even supposed to hold it, because barely by, merely by holding it, he ruined it. Um, that was an age... True. Something like that. <laughs> anyway, um, for myself, I uh, I have driven a uh, eighty to a hundred thousand dollar automobile um, momentarily. If I had driven it any further, I would have surely been arrested. Um, and once I uh, didn't quite smuggle, but certainly in a secretive, hidden fashion, uh, moved thirty thousand dollars in cash from one country to another. Um, so, yeah, certainly did. Um, but I, I'm sort of, uh, I'm sort of convinced that um, somehow unawares, I've been in possession of something more valuable, and I don't say that um, lightly. I, I just simply think that all of us are at times close to or in possession of things of great value, and we don't even recognize it. But partly because we don't. We don't know how to rightly appraise uh, things that are valuable. Uh, you know, you're in a museum. You don't know what's dust from something that's worth hundred thousand dollars. How many times? And what we're going to see tonight in, in the parable that Jesus, is, or the many parables Jesus is going to share with us, is uh, something that's particularly valuable to Jesus, and that's what he calls the kingdom of God. It's valuable enough, important enough that he tells eight separate parables about it in one chapter. And we're only going to look at four. Um, but it's interesting. Uh, this is certainly a phenomenon or reality that's exceptionally important and valuable to him. I, I wonder whether or not it's valuable to us, uh, because I'm not even sure we understand what he's talking about. Our text is in Matthew 13. Uh, it's rather short. Uh, please uh, follow along as I read. Matthew 13:31. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took... And sowed in his field it is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would be gracious enough to draw near through your spirit to uh, grant us a proper vision of what the kingdom of God is, that you would move in our hearts that we would desire it, that you, uh, in the hearts of some that lack faith, that you would work faith. In the hearts of some that dishearten, Lord, that you would encourage us by the reality of your presence and your goodness. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. I can't remember if I've told this story or not. That's a good problem. That means we've been doing this for a couple years now. Um, but Mark Twain, in his travel narratives, uh, one in which he traveled around the world, shares a story. And with Mark Twain, you never know whether the story is true or not. He doesn't really let you know. Um, but he recounts the story. He claims it's true. He 
came upon in Australia a young man, uh, British, uh, living far away from home, sort of an alien, if you will, who had uh, fallen on hard times, was unable to find work, and uh, was nearly homeless, and was basically forced to uh, into the worst kind of menial labor at the time, which, believe it or not, was shark catching. Catching sharks. Um, the government was paying people to catch sharks because the industry was uh, being hampered uh, and lives were being taken. And um, so people could go out and catch sharks and turn some parts of them over to the government and get paid. So this man had the good fortune one day of landing a shark. And uh, he went about the gruesome and uh, unpleasant task of uh, parceling it out, cutting it up. And all of a sudden he, he found something and he just suddenly stopped what he was doing turned and walked away and left maybe a hundred dollars with a shark on the beach she uh, shouldn't have done that's the point uh, he made his way very quickly um, within a couple hours to the estate of one of the more wealthy men in the city he appeared uh, bedraggled smelling like fish uh, again he was nearly homeless and uh, as shocking as his appearance was even more shocking was his request I want to see the owner and uh, he was adamant and um Eventually, somehow, he actually got an interview with the owner. And what's even more shocking is what he did next. He asked for a ton of money. Um, and uh, the guy asked, why in the world should I give you a stranger that seems insane uh, so much money? And uh, th this young man, confident, uh, would not reveal the mystery, the, the secret that he held, but simply said that uh, any investment would uh, be rewarded by a overwhelming amount of wealth that would that would come their way. Well, the, the question before us, and we're going to talk about the story again later, is uh, what did this young man find? What is it that he found? And uh, what, he, what he found, and I'll give you a little clue, was a mystery. Not a mystery in the sense, not, not saying I'm keeping it from you, he literally found a mystery. Um, a mystery, a real mystery, and uh, a particularly interesting one. He found a message. And, and sometimes we ask, wonder why, why we can't find things like this. that are so wonderful and mysterious and potentially uh, wealth-inducing. Uh, um, but what we're going to see tonight in our, in our texts that Jesus gives us is he's basically telling us there's a reality. It's, it's a mysterious one. In your very midst, offering something of surpassing value, but we can't see it. We can't understand it. And we often undervalue it. And I have a theory why we do. Uh, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. And we're going to use that phrase over and over. And my sort of take on the kingdom of God, I'll just give you a short definition, is it's Jesus' work in this world. Um, but Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is this valuable, powerful, wonderful thing in your midst. And we often undervalue it, dismiss it, miss it altogether, because I think we've often... Um, we often we've suffered from a flooded market. Um, a valuable commodity like the kingdom of God, there are so many knockoffs, frauds, knickknacks that seems to be substitutes of what God is really doing. That frankly, we're confused and we're skeptical, and we don't know what to expect. We don't know what God is offering. We don't know what God wants. So we don't know what to do. We have very low expectations. Even as Christians, consider yourselves mature. You have very low expectations for what God can do in your life. In the lives of others. If you're an unbeliever that's here, you'd be wondering why in the world uh, you're here. 
happens. Obviously, nothing seems to happen. Um, but we're going to see tonight, as we look at our text, is Jesus telling us that if we grasp properly the nature and the value of the kingdom, we will be moved to grasp Jesus. If we, if we properly understand what the kingdom is all about, the kingdom of God, we will want and we will grasp Jesus himself. And we'll do it gladly. Um, pretty simple outline tonight. Uh, we're going to look at the mysterious work of surpassing value. Uh, basically what I'm saying is the kingdom of God is a mysterious work of surpassing value. So, how is it a mysterious work? Um, let's look at our text. We'll find out pretty quickly. Well, one thing we see, and we're considering that this thing is mysterious, is that um, Jesus is talking about something alien. And by alien, I don't mean extraterrestrial. But if you look at the account, we'll just start in verse 31. We're talking about things that are being taken from one place and put into another. They're being introduced. They don't properly belong there. Um, the first example is not the best necessarily. But um, we have a, a grain of mustard seed that someone takes and puts in the field. Now, of course, seeds belong in fields. I give you that. Nevertheless, someone is taking something and putting it somewhere. That's true of all these accounts. Uh, the next account, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. She takes and she puts. It's the introduction of some foreign matter into another. That's what leaven's for, I understand. Um, but verse 44 is uh, more interesting. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Someone took a treasure and put it there. And uh, this, we're working on it. Uh, it's not quite fully mysterious yet. But what we do see is somehow the kingdom of heaven has to do with someone, presumably God, taking something and putting it somewhere. Presumably taking something and putting it in this world. Okay? Following so far? Not so mysterious, sort of obvious. The mysterious begins next. Uh, this, whatever it is that's put, is of a hidden nature. Um, it's put, it's alien, but it's also hidden. And, uh, you know, it may not be true with the mustard seed. You don't go and try to hide it. Nevertheless, it's the case that once it's there, you're not going to find it. I dare you to go look for it. Uh, so it's unintentionally hidden. But it's very interesting what uh, Jesus says about this woman who's kneading bread. Kingdom of heavens like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. Um, it's a very interesting intentional use of the word head. I don't bake much. I don't cook much. I think Laura was saying she likes to cook by just doing whatever and seeing what happens. I'm just the opposite. Follow strict directions, do exactly what I'm supposed to because I know I'm not skilled. I don't have the natural intuition to like cook well. And so, you know, three eggs, beat eggs, add, sift. I do exactly what I'm supposed to do. I figure out what those verbs mean, and I do it. Never once have I come across the word hid. Never once has a cookbook said, please hide this in the middle of that. Uh, and that's exactly what this text says. The leaven was hid in the flour. Why? And obviously, with the treasure, uh, it's hidden in the field. And, and what Jesus is getting at here is somehow the kingdom of God is this mysterious hidden thing. It has a hidden quality. That may raise the question uh, for some of you, why? Is God being obscurant? Is he trying to hide? Is he trying to hide what he's doing? Is this intentional? Uh, does God not want us to find out what he's doing? That way we couldn't call him to account or hold him to very high standards. And I don't think that's uh, necessarily it at all. As we go along tonight, we'll see God wants us. Jesus wants us to find out what God is doing and doing in. I think rather the hidden nature of the kingdom is due to some other things. If you look at 
this mustard seed, and at the leaven, what you have is things that start very small, underground, inside, in the interior, out of sight. They seem insignificant. It's as though um, they're hidden. It's as though they're insignificant. They are tiny. You don't expect them to do anything. They're easily forgotten. You don't even know they're there. And that's the point. The kingdom of God in this world, in the lives of men and women, doesn't appear like much. You can't even see it. What is it? Where is it? How do I measure it? And I think Jesus is saying, well, you know, it sort of really can't because it works on the inside in small ways and it starts small and you don't know what's going on. But to make peace with that um, and be okay with that. And we can be okay with that uh, because what else is true about the mysterious nature of the kingdom of God, which is that it's powerful. In spite of the fact that it's hidden and tiny and small and seemingly insignificant, it does something. It produces something. This mustard seed, which is a tiny little thing, doesn't grow up just in this nice little plant. It grows up into a significant bush or small tree. It gives you something. It gives you mustard. It gives the birds a house. It gives them a home. Uh, the leaven produces, you know, I had to look this up a little bit. Leaven is nothing but like old bread, uh, but it contains some bacteria that I forgot. Lactophobia. I don't know. <laughs> you might know. And, um, and leaven, yeast. And, and basically what it does is transform constitutionally the nature of flour. It takes one thing and literally turns it into something else. It only breathes life into flour. And in some ways, this dead bunch of stuff comes alive. And it produces something. It produces bread. And, and the point here in, the, in, the, in this parable is very interesting. It's not just this tiny little thing. Uh, if this is God, the, the baker woman is God. Um, she's baking bread for 100 people. This is 50 pounds of flour. This is the maximum amount you can possibly work as a human being. Um, and the point is, living this tiny little thing, and God's at work in this huge lump of stuff, but it just takes a little bit of the kingdom to radically transform everything. And it, and it changes constitutionally everything. It really does. Uh, the kingdom of God is powerful, though it's hidden and mysterious. Um, let's talk about us. I think it's very easy for us to miss and dismiss the kingdom of God. Partly, we don't know what it is. Uh, we hardly ever use that phrase. If we do, uh, we tend to think of something ethereal, heavenly. The kingdom of heaven is, the kingdom of God is, where I go when I die. That's what Jesus is saying here. This is something that's at work now in you, in others, in the world, throughout the world. We can barely see it. And it's producing real life stuff, results. It's producing stuff. I think it's easy for us to miss it and dismiss it because we don't know what we're looking for. And because we tend to expect God to work in very external ways. When we ask for God to do something, it's often we're asking for God to do something out here externally. Fix this. Change my circumstances. Or even when we pray about us, we're asking stuff like, could you make me a little less angry? I mean, we're we're asking about external stuff like behavior, um, or circumstances, and that's fine. We should pray about those things, ask those things. Um, but what Jesus is saying is the kingdom of God goes deeper into the heart, into the very center of all of you, and God works on the inside out, from the very interior, working himself out, working the gospel message, working itself out through your heart and your mind, to your attitudes, to your behaviors, lastly, into your actions. Uh, it begins in your heart. And it's not, as we often think, when we think of the words like kingdom, 
it's either some heavenly escape or it's some military um, rigidity. Uh, it's that, and we think God's going to come and destroy and tear up all this stuff and throw it out. The picture here is something different. God intends to plant a message, a reality in your heart. And not necessarily destroy all of it, all of you, but to grow something new in you. Uh, to grow the very presence of Jesus and the person of Jesus over time. That's another thing about this. This takes time. All this takes time. A tree takes time to grow. Bread takes time to rise. We have to be patient. So, um, this is how we should expect God to work. And, and because we don't expect God to work this way, we often dismiss God's working in other people. We don't, frankly, expect God to work in anybody else. I mean, we sometimes pray, but then we stop praying, because, like, I prayed like six months. Nothing's happened. It takes time. God works mysteriously in the hearts of people that we don't expect. We just rule some people out because we look at the externals and like, there's no way that person would ever be interested in anything like this. How would you know? God works from the inside out, mysteriously, powerfully, over time. Well, that's the mysterious nature of the work. Let's look at the surpassing value. And uh, there's some clue to this in the first couple parables. This tree gives us a valuable spice. It produces a home. The loving gives us bread for 100 people. Those things are nice. Those things are necessary for life. Maybe not spice, but it certainly helps. Um, But when we get into verses 44 and 46, we get a better estimate of the nature, the value of the kingdom of God. Uh, This is Jesus' estimation of what he is doing in the world. The kingdom of God is like... A field, a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. In his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had, and he bought it. Uh, don't go into great detail about this, but just really quickly, thinking about the surpassing value of this, consider the merchant. More likely than not, it sounds like this is a guy who knows exactly what he's looking for. He's dealing in pearls, at least for a time. And in his search for pearls, he comes across one pearl. He finds the pearl. He sees the pearl. He values the pearl. He knows the value of the pearl. He turns around. He goes home. And he says, all these pearls, all this stuff. And this would have been a man of considerable means. He's a merchant. Sell it all. Every bit. All of it. Because I want that. That pearl is what I want. Everything I have is not worth that. That's what Jesus is saying. This kingdom is of a surpassing and estimable value so that a man like this who deals in pearls, who's a merchant, will gladly give away everything he has to get it. That's what the kingdom of God is like. This is a rational response from a businessman. Um, the kingdom of God is of surpassing value. We also see that it's surprising, and it's surprising who finds the kingdom of God. Uh, the, the pearl merchant guy is looking for pearls. No surprise that he finds a pearl, although you'd probably be surprised if he found a pearl like this. Uh, the other guy, the first guy, who finds a treasure hidden in the field, we don't know anything about him. He could have been looking for it with a metal detector. More likely than not, he was just a farmer plowing the field. Huh, what's that? Rusty old shield. Not worth anything. Honey! What are you doing? And he picks it up and realizes what he's found. Um, We don't know much about him. We don't know how he found it. 
But what's clear, I think, from this is there are two kinds of people. Those who are really looking for the kingdom and those who just sort of fall upon it. And that's okay. Um, some people find it surprisingly. And I think Jesus is making a point of that. The kingdom of God, this thing of inestimable value, it's so pervasive. That's sort of the point of the parable of the leaven. This thing's at work everywhere in the world, all over the place, that literally some people just stumble upon it. And uh, that's hard for some of us to believe. Some of us can't believe you can actually find something you're not looking for. And some of us, uh, who perhaps have spent our whole life searching for this, might be a little angry that someone could find it so easily after we spent so much time doing it, uh, looking for it ourselves. Literally, I've been a good little person my whole life. And that guy, literally, walks into a meeting, his whole life's changed, and he's happier now than ever been in my whole life. And if that's the kind of person you are, then Jesus has lots of other parables um, that will disturb you even more. It really does. It's the nature of grace. Um, it's surprising who will find this. And um, the reason you can find something you're not even looking for, that anybody can find something you're not even looking for, is because it's true. That although you may not be looking for the kingdom of God, everyone is looking. Everyone is looking. That's a biblical truth. It's a testimony of Scripture. That in the heart of every man, woman, and child is a longing for God and a longing for the things of God. And Romans 1 talks about this. Uh, basically, we want the things of God's kingdom. We want the joy, the peace, the security, um, but we don't want the king. And so what we've done is we've basically made a bargain with ourselves. Well, we'll settle for the knockoffs and the frauds because we'll we'll get some residual life and joy out of those things. Um, And I don't want to harp on that too much because that's not really the point of the parable. The parable is you can spend your whole life playing in the foolishness, looking for all kinds of stuff. And Scripture basically says what you're looking for is the kingdom of God. You're looking for the presence of God. You're looking for your Father who loves you and forgives you. You're looking for the family that loves you and the kingdom of God. And you can literally fall over top of it. And when you do, whether you've been looking for it your whole life, or you've never looked for it, and you literally fall over it, once you recognize what you have, what you will say is, this is what I've been looking for my whole life. This is what I want. I really, really want this. Well, that's, the good news is, uh, you can have it. Because it is shockingly available. You would expect something this valuable. The pearl of great price. It looks like one. There's one available. Uh, And that's not what Jesus is saying. This thing is shockingly available. How many treasures can there be in the field? Uh, You know, isn't there a very limited number of people that can find this treasure of inestimable value? I mean, is this for everybody? And I think what Jesus is saying is, it's for all kinds of people. Again, that's the nature of the parable of the leaven. Whether you're an expert or a fool, or a searcher, or just somebody who stumbles over it, whether you've been a good person or a bad person, whether you've been Jewish or Gentile, it doesn't matter. You can have this. Because God's kingdom is scattered throughout the world. It is not the exclusive property of any group of people. Even Presbyterians. Like myself. Um, It's at work all over the world. And all you have to do to have it is to want it. And to want the king himself. Um, What's the cost? What's the cost of this kingdom for those who find it? 
it's actually not a bad deal. Uh, in verse 44, we see that the, the guy that finds the treasure simply goes and, uh, in his joy, sells all he has. And same with the pearl merchant. He goes and sells all he has. And I think this is a rather good bargain. And I'm not being at all facetious. Now, certainly, the pearl merchant's all he has is more than the other guy's all he has. But I think the point here is both of them got exactly what they wanted. They were utterly joyful. And think about the guy that bought the treasure. We don't know much about him. He's probably just a normal Joe. He got the treasure. What was the cost he paid? He paid for a field. He paid for like two acres of dirt with like poison ivy. And he got a treasure. Okay, This is a bargain. And the reason that you can get a bargain, the reason the cost is only all of you, because frankly all of you is not enough, is because someone else paid the burden of cost for your entrance into the kingdom. That Jesus himself gladly gave his all he had. And his all he had is much better than all yours. All yours, all your hats. And his uh, infinite righteousness and his beauty and his love, he gave his life. Not just so that he could have a kingdom, but so that you could have a kingdom. And the exact cost of the price of the kingdom for you is what he paid. So that all you have to give is yourself in faith and trust. And really, when you understand the kingdom and what Jesus wants to do in your life and his power and his transforming grace and his love, when you, when you do understand it, you will gladly give it. You will gladly, you'll be one of these people who gladly gives it and goes home and says, look what I've got. Look at my car. You sold everything, you fool. I know, that's a great deal. I mean, that is the nature of the kingdom. And until you understand that, it's okay. Takes time to figure out. It's all right. I want to finish the story for us. Um, our young fellow, after his bold offer uh, to this wealthy land baron, um, the man sits and contemplates for a while. The, the young man doesn't seem insane. I mean, he smells and he looks a crazy person who's been homeless forever, or near homeless for quite a while. Uh, but he's rational and he's confident and uh, he seems fairly convinced. And, and this guy's a shrewd businessman. And, and finally, he's without any real rationale. He acquiesces and hands over the money, the, the cost for his possible participation in this great uh, venture, which would uh, earn him some surpassing, uh, overwhelming amount of wealth. Having satisfied, uh, been satisfied this guy was invested, the young man reaches into a pocket and, and pulls out a newspaper. It is a newspaper, um, well, it's a newspaper from London. It was dated five days previously. Handed it to the young man, to the uh, businessman who noted the location of the paper and the date and read the story the young man pointed to. This is in Australia. This paper arrived two days earlier than normal means of communication would have allowed it to. Uh, it got there by shark faster than it did by anything else. So assume that the, the newspaper um, entered the shark by means of the human that was consumed somewhere between England and Australia. Anyway, uh, the story recounts uh, something not so particularly wonderful. War. War was on the way. And um, that is bad news for everyone, except for someone that owns thousands and thousands of sheep at the turn of the century. 
because that means hundreds of thousands of people will be needing uniforms immediately. So they took this information. You've received this. You read the newspaper article. You knew immediately we are filthy rich. Took the information, went and invested their money heavily in, in, uh, in the market, and within a couple months, they were indeed filthy rich. Um, again, it's Mark Twain, so you know, who knows if it's true or not. <laughs> I'm sure he went to his grave thinking it was true. Um, what we have here in this story is a mystery. It really is a mystery. How in the world did this happen? And some of you are like, this did not happen. Um, I have no idea how fish, how fast with fish, especially sharks, swim. Uh, we have a mystery that comes through a message that tells a group of people about an estimable value and wealth that can be theirs at a minimal cost. All they have to do is act on it. All they have to do is want it. And, and similarly, God is offering to us something like that in the kingdom. At the cost of his own life, Jesus comes and draws near and brings us a message of a reality that can be ours. It can be ours. We don't deserve it. We don't have the cost. We don't have the means of paying for it. But it can be ours because he has paid the cost. And he is willing to give us that which we need to get into the kingdom, which is himself. Jesus himself gives himself for us so he can give himself and his whole kingdom to us. What else can I say to you guys? You're Christian and you're just sort of wondering, why am I not satisfied? Why why am I so discontent? Why don't I have the love and joy uh, that this text and other texts talk about? Uh, Part of it is that we don't prize the kingdom of God. We don't prize the presence of Jesus. We, We don't really expect him to do much. And and the reality is, um, until we do, and and until we understand that the kingdom is far more precious, so much so that we can give up not only all we have, but all our worries and concerns, we will not experience the joy and the peace that Jesus offers us. And if you're here someone, and tonight is someone that uh, doesn't believe this, you wonder what in the world we're talking about, kingdom language is difficult and esoteric. It's not esoteric. It's not obscuring. Uh, Jesus is simply saying that he is a reality, and he is more than willing to show himself to anyone that would seek to find him and know him. And that he has already crossed the major barriers to make that possible. Okay, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your work in drawing near and making